Everybody, and welcome to True Stories of Tinseltown. I have a fab, fab, fab guest for us today, Christina Lane. I discovered Christina on Noir Alley with, you know, one of my crushes, that adorable Eddie Muller, and I was fascinated. I was totally fascinated, Christina, with what you and Eddie were talking about. And this is Joan Harrison, and you wrote a wonderful book. She's been on before, and we pretty much discussed the whole book. Um, Phantom Lady, Hollywood producer Joan Harrison, The Forgotten Woman Behind Hitchcock. Now, this book is wonderful, and I reread a little bit of it, maybe about 50, 60 pages of it, and I saw things that I didn't see before. It's a great book, Christina, really. Thank you. Thank you for having me back, and it's a, it's a pleasure to, to be here. Thanks. You're welcome. And uh, I do, before I go on, I want to thank somebody, a shocker for me, <laughs> April Vivier, who did the two, um, you know April, she does, she's my series girl, and she, we, he mentioned everything, but basically, this wonderful Matthew Chernoff I was included in the best old Hollywood podcasts. Woo, woo, hooray. woo, woo, hooray. And variety, you guys. I was shocked, stunned, and amazed, and thrilled. And <laughs> if that is, you know, like my family, like, so? <laughs> they have no clue. They don't listen to me. They don't care. They don't know what variety is. They don't care anything about it. Although my sister was proud of me. Anyway, my mother would have been thrilled had she been alive. I know this. But um, it didn't change me, Christina. I'm just the regular grace. I just, uh, today I'm just wearing my um, rhinestone tiara. I'm wearing oh, yeah. satin. Um, pajamas, and I'm wearing fufu slippers with a little bit of heel and that little feather and a little bit of tootsie showing. So I'm just the regular old Grace. Um, yes, and you well, you should wear that every day for you know <laughs> the rest of the month. <laughs> yes, as variety, uh, woot woot, as he says. Uh, what do you call it? The do-it-yourself podcast. <laughs> and it is the do-it-yourself. Because he named really good ones, you know? And they have producers, they have readers, they have bookers, they have all that stuff. And they're wonderful podcasts. And I like mine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's no frills. It's just, yeah. it's just me and my guest, and I love doing it. So um, <laughs> thank you, Matthew, so much. Big kisses and hugs to you. I'd love to, to give you a big hug. And... Um, Thank you so much. Really, I'll never forget that. And so we go on with Christina. And there's just a couple of questions I want to ask you. And as a PS, you guys, I may be sounding like I'm a motor mouth person. I am very caffeined up. I don't drink a lot of caffeine. I'm so sorry, Christina. I got to mush, mush. I got to slow it down, you know. But um I drink a lot of caffeine, and I have been drinking it. I drink half-calf coffee in the morning, and I was exhausted because I slept crappy. So I'm talking too much, and I'm talking too loud, and I'm talking fast. So I'm sorry. And Christina, so let's start with you. Okay. 
you what what made you want to write Phantom Lady about Joan? Yeah, I, and thank you again. You know, I, I I think I aimed for the longest title of a book. So <laughs> I appreciate your your taking the um you know taking the time to even name name the whole you know the whole Phantom Lady title. But I I wanted to write Phantom Lady about Joan Harrison because there are first of all so many women that worked you know with Hitchcock and influenced his work in general. And so I wanted to bring that to light, and then Joan Harrison in particular, because she worked with him from the mid-1930s all the way through the television series in the mid-1960s, and just had such a profound influence on his films, you know, it's dozens and dozens of of his films, and particularly, I think, you know, his gothic, kind of the gothic. Which I love, my favorites, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Rebecca, Suspicion, The Lady Vanishes, um, and and also the the kind of the more espionage and the you know kind of foreign correspondent and saboteur, um, and then also I, I as I make a case in the book she she was the the initial kind of the prototypical Hitchcock blonde and I think really fed into his his fantasy of what that that female character was um, was like in terms of that Grace Kelly type. Right. So I, I wanted to tell her life story because she was such a fantastic just um, woman. As she a, really as was a, and a fascinating yeah. subject. And I have to say, yeah. um, I never heard of her, you guys. And um, probably you never did either. You know, I knew mm-hmm. Alma, his wife, was such a huge um influence on him but I never knew about Joan and it's really good there's some good uh, gossip stuff there's some just really uh, it's the kind of book you want to read it's a Hollywood book and it's very um, very interesting and you know he really did like her I felt sorry for Alma because Mm -hmm. when they first started going places he would sit next to Joni and she called him Hitchy and (laughs) and Alma it's like the scene in Rebecca I can just see that you know when she first comes to Mandalay and they have their Mm -hmm. first dinner and he sits way on the other side of the table it's like she sits on the other side not knowing what to do that's what I can see Alma just kind of at the end of the table and these two are chatting it up but she didn't seem to mind did she yeah no, right. I mean, I think that it was a bit of a renegotiation, right, of, of what all these relationships were going to mm-hmm. be like when, right? I mean, Joan Harrison was younger. She was a good bit, maybe seven or eight years younger than than both Hitchcock and Alma. So she was young and blonde and, and sharp, you know, a beautiful dresser and clearly just um, kind of hit them like a little bit of a tidal wave. Yeah. Um, and, and she so, became part of yeah. their family. Yes, she did. She did. So, so you know, Alma Revel was a force uh, herself to be reckoned with, but she was a different personality type, and I think she did have to change, just uh, make, make adjustments to figure out what this was all going to, how it was going to work. Right, because then he would mm-hmm. start traveling with Joan without Alma. Yeah, eventually that's right. And the kind of during I mean, without they Alma, in, yeah. Without Alma, you know, that's right. It is true. As into like the early um, 1940s, as they began to enter the war, he had reason to travel uh, alone. Um, and he ended up traveling with, with Joan, which I think, you know, certainly made things complicated, even for Joan Harrison, right? Yeah, because there was yeah. a lot of gossip. People would say she never would have gotten as far unless she, God forbid, had some sort of intimate. Um, yeah. action with Alfred. Who knows? Maybe she did because she got right in there. And, you know, you don't say she did, but you, you never right. know. You know, who knows? I'm not saying she did either. You know, she right. she loved 
um, true crime. She loved all that stuff. You know, the movie, she and Alma wrote together Suspicion. They yeah. mostly wrote that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that they, um, that was the film where you can just really see the two of them working together collaboratively and enjoying the subject matter of, um, you know, Joan Fontaine's character, mm-hmm. Lena, you know, Lena, um, basically just the psychology of a woman losing herself, kind of losing her mind in the middle of this chaos and not knowing whether Johnny was, you know, just a complete, you know, a murderer, a cat, a philanderer, a gambler. And so she became willing essentially to die inside this spiral of a marriage. And I, and so I think that they, you know, the, um, you know, the, the picture of them basically writing in the living room of the Hitchcock's home and kind of sometimes it would be frantically, sometimes it would be more in a calm, you know, kind of calm and enjoyable, luxurious, more situation of just kind of plant plotting and planning things out. But, but, and there, and I don't want to take away the work that Samson Rafelson, you know, that, that as they called him Rafe, um, brought to the table because there was a third writer, but he actually wasn't uh, hanging around the two women. He was actually kind of off on his own, adding adding some touches. So it is this wonderful, I think, picture of the two women um, writing suspicion mainly together, especially as they worked out some of the bigger bigger problems and tried to problem solve together. It's really interesting. And also the Rebecca stuff and the behind the scenes things and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And this is one thing we talked about the last time, which I'm fascinated that this was put in. And you said Alma and Joan wanted the um, les- lesbian undertone, or to me it was an overtone, of Isabel, yeah. the um, mystery writer, having them to dinner. And this woman who had, you know, the short hair, greased back, and was dressed in men's clothing, and mm-hmm. basically was acting as the man of the house, pouring the wine, doing this. And I love that, but I wonder why they wanted that in there so badly. Yeah, right. And and so, and my understanding is that this was a bit more of Joan's touch in terms mm-hmm. of just, yeah, this kind of the stage at, with this, at which the screenplay was in. This mm-hmm. would have been um, kind of Joan Harrison's, um, uh, she was more heavily into the writing of, of that particular, of those drafts, mm-hmm. but, 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 uh, but also Alma and Joan um, putting this in, and and the idea is that the character of, of Phyllis, the um, the partner of, of Isabel, was not at all in the book. This is what I you know this is what I talk about in Phantom mm-hmm. Lady. She was a complete addition, like a fabrication, mm-hmm. um, in order to add. I guess, dimension to Isabel, right? To, to suggest that the mystery writer was indeed a lesbian, and to to, to paint them as a butch femme. Um, couple and so and yeah so there's a scene where not only does Isabel say you know you know please pour the wine but she calls Phyllis Phil you know so there it it really it really does go um you know Joan kind of goes out of her way to to paint them as a couple and as a particular kind of couple in the 1940s when a lot of these codes would have been taboo and yeah, 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 and um, and the censors were catching on, right? So the the drafts were the the script drafts were going back and forth, where um, essentially the 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 um, you know the the PCA the picture the the production code administration they would say you know you have to take this out and this is too um, you know too sensational and and you're just going over the top in terms of suggesting the the lesbian 
um, relationship. And each time, I mean, Harrison would take out maybe a shading, but she was pushing back each time saying, we're going to keep this couple here. So that's what I found most interesting. And you're, and you're asking kind of why. And one of the reasons would be to, to maybe deflect from the other things that they wanted to keep in the script, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of Johnny Cary Grant's character being so such a bad boy, right? <laughs> or um, other things that they wanted that that might have been pushing the code that they wanted to leave in there. But I also think that just for the sake of, of keeping that couple, the lesbian couple, there, they uh, Joan Harrison was really pretty pretty adamant. But I think, as you write in your book, I think some uh, one of the lines uh, Johnny was supposed to say, "That's right," I, or Good thing, old boy. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Alluding to is what's her character's name? Yeah, Phyllis. Phyllis. Mm-hmm. Alluding to Phyllis that she's a man, baby, and that's <laughs> basically it. But they cut that out. They cut that out. Right. Yeah, that was one of the things they couldn't keep. But yeah, and which is also important because it suggests that Johnny understood, right? That he was out, outing, you know, very explicit at the at the dinner table that he knew what was going on and didn't mind, you know, treating them as um, treating Phyllis as a as a good old boy, so to speak. Yeah, and she was. I loved it, and it showed that they were very content. They had a, a nice relationship, which was mm-hmm. really really far ahead of its time because all you saw was like women they talk about women in prison you know watch out for that when she wrestles she's smoking cigars you know the severe hair the the women in prison movies where they're you know they're just totally you know but yeah alluded yeah and yeah, yeah, and and I really do want to say, you know, that in that film in particular, when we understand that that Lena and Johnny have such a poisoned, toxic relationship, it's a counterpoint. You know, it's a healthy counterpoint to their heterosexual relationship. Right, and I wonder how many people got that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I would love to know because I got that immediately. I was like, whoa, you know, for a forties movie, I was like. Yeah, because yeah. who didn't know? And I loved her brother, you know, eh, yes, there's a poison, he, chopping up that gross thing, he's the coroner. Anyway, yeah. um, she became a director. Mm-hmm. and Or a pro, um, Joan Harrison? Yes. A, a oh, producer? no, producer, producer, I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 And yeah. the first one she did was Phantom Lady, or was it mm-hmm. Uncle Harry? Yeah, no, Phantom Lady was the first. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're going to talk a bit about Ella, but I want to talk about the movie that you guys, because I know you know I love this movie, is, this, what is it, The Strange Affair of Uncle Harry. Yeah. And Ella Raines is in it. Ella Raines was also in Phantom Lady, and we go in depth with all these movies and the other podcasts we did, and it's a really good yeah. podcast, so um, I will link this with this podcast with the other podcast, so you can catch them both, And um, if you hadn't heard the other one. And... This movie was really ooh-la-la. And I love how she made Deborah. Deborah was Ella Rain's character. And she was from New York, and she came to this little town. And for some reason, she, because he was kind and nice, she fell in love with Harry, who was this, mm-hmm. you know, kind of plodding person who supported his sisters. And one of his sisters, played by Geraldine Fitzgerald, in a wonderful, wonderful job as... Yeah. You know, she's basically lusting for her brother. You know, come on. Definitely. Yes. I mean, there's no no getting away from it. I'm like, ew. And um, Ella Raines comes into the picture, and she is just beyond herself. And But I like how they have Ella. She has Ella in pants. She has Ella dressed. And, you know, she's strong. 
Mm-hmm. You know, she she's a strong character. You know, she is a match for Letty, where other women yeah. would not be a match for Letty. This is Geraldine Fitzgerald's incestuous, loving her brother, women who love their brother too much kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I just thought that was a really good film. You guys can catch it. I think that was the first time it was on TCM. Um, yeah. I believe you guys can catch it on YouTube, because I did. Also, uh-huh. um, I'd, Phantom Lady's probably on YouTube, too. And I know Ella did Impact, which is a really, I think, underrated noir. And, yeah. But Joan didn't direct that one. Uh, I mean, right. produce. Sorry, kids. Um, so why don't we get on to the good girl of noir, Ella Raines. Okay. 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 Yeah. And, and Ella Raines is such an interesting character because she is within that noir, you know, genre and kind of coming in in the 1940s. She Uh is just a a contrast. I think generally a contrast. Um, and you know, she was born in Snoqualmie, Washington, right. And, and just kind of came and kind of squeaky faced, clean, kind of clean cut um and she she, you know her all of the press and publicity around her as she entered hollywood said that she was a bit of a tomboy growing up doing you know skiing and horseback riding and playing the piano and that's all true it wasn't just a a made-up um picture of of her right you know it really was um based on her what her family said really the way that she grew up which i think it, it kind of comes off of her just um, and this is not to say that she was a nat- kind of a natural person because I believe that she comes off in the films as very performative too I agree you know mm-hmm. right um, but whatever performance she's giving off also incorporates I believe just kind of that experience of 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 com- coming up in the in the in the northwest part of the country and kind of more rugged and and definitely being an outdoorsy girl. Yeah. <laughs> coming up that way. Yeah. And also being gorgeous. I believe yeah. you know that right. hair she Ella is really gorgeous. She's one of the real beauties in Hollywood, but like, you know, she's she's, you know, underrated, but like you said mm-hmm. she does she's not the best actress in the world. She's not. And right. but she's a good, she's good. You believe her, and um, she does a good job. She gets the mm-hmm. job done, and um, so she. I, I saw that she did. I don't remember what the first film was, but I do remember the second was Battle, the one with all the women in the war. Yeah. Uh, uh, cry, cry, uh, cry havoc. Cry. Yeah, cry havoc. Uh huh. And that was her first yeah. dramatic role. And this was they were I don't know they were in the Philippines or somewhere near there, and the women. These were just volunteers because everybody was being bombed out and um, and killed. And they brought these women in. They're not nurses, and they had, you know, like Joan Blondell, who was a stripper, and all, you know, just a uh, potpourri of characters. And Alla yeah. was like sort of um, the lady, and she came, still wore her perfume, but yeah, of course she became a good character. And then mm-hmm. they got her in Phantom. Mm-hmm. And she, yes. she comes in as a lovely, loyal secretary and pretty much takes over the show. Yes, that's that's right. She um, And, you know, one of the things I, I actually did want to back up just because she comes into those films, those universal films like Cray Havoc, as um, she's sold as, you know, like the first million dollar 
property, right? Or this, you know, just because she's essentially groomed by Howard Hawks mm-hmm. as you know under that new banner with Howard Hawks and Charles Boyer. So, so she has a little bit of grooming right before she goes into um, her first films, which is uh, Corvette K two two five and and Cry Havoc. But, but basically, Howard Hawks grooms her to be that Howard Hawksian woman and teaches her how to pose and how oh, to yeah sort of the Lauren right. Bacall hair you know sort of the whole exactly. thing exactly the Lauren Bacall hair I mean she which is which is so important to know I think as we watch her on on screen is that she was supposed to be um, following in Lauren Bacall's footsteps you know and um, and she's wearing similar clothes and she is she's got the hairstyle and she does a lot of the similar kind of poses and yeah, moves she does a right? lot of the chin down kind of thing and yeah, yeah. And yet she's not, she's not similar to Bacall. It, she kind of t- finds a way to internalize yeah. these, these moves, but then she comes off as her own person. She really does. She really does. And she de- definitely, by the time we see her in Phantom Lady, she is, um, and again, this is not to say that Ella Raines is, is, you know, the best actress in the world and deserves an Oscar for, you know, for say her early work or for any of her roles, but she's, she's one of a kind and she has figured out how to be Ella Raines on screen. And she, in, in that film, um, in Phantom Lady, when she is, you know, starts off as a secretary and becomes, you know, kind of a, her own detective to save her boss, she's, um, She's really quite unique and distinctive in, 19, in the 1940s noir genre, yeah. She becomes a hepcat. She even says that herself. <laughs> she has like four different things, a secretary, a sleuth, and, you know, yeah. she she helps a few people get killed. <laughs> you know, right. Like the poor guy's paranoid and he falls in the street and he gets killed. Thanks, Ella. Yeah. You know, and other things. Right. But, right. but she's really good and she uh, she's no wimp. You know what I mean? She's no. just no wimp in any of the movies she's done, in any of the noir films she's done. Deborah was mm-hmm. strong, a match for Nettie, um, mm-hmm. Letty. I don't think many people would be. I think they would, you know, be, take their tail between their leg and run run for the hills. And Deborah yeah. stayed there. Again, in um, Impact, she was great. And mm-hmm. she only did two movies. And another thing about Ella is she was married Yet it was never publicized. Yeah, yeah. So she she was married in like what 1942 before she even made it to the screen mm-hmm. because she married her high school sweetheart who was an Air Force major, mm-hmm. um, Ken, yeah, Ken Trout. And so she and, and you know I think that once she got to Hollywood, it's uh, she realized strategically that she needed to keep that under wraps and that her acting she. Her acting career was most important, and I, you know, I did have the opportunity to interview her daughter, um, Christine Olds, and she's wonderful. I mean, she's, you know, she's actually she did a great biography of of her father, who was this, I believe, Robin Olds came along as as the second husband. Yes, and we can, you know, we can talk about that if you want to, but but uh, I believe that that. Christine might be working on a book on her mother, and she's very honest about, um, 
you know, about Ella Rains, and she and she talks about how really the one motivator for her mother was being an actress. Like, if there was one thing that drove her, it was wanting to perform and, and wanting to act. And so if you think about that, then you realize that the marriage was never going to hold, you know, that that first marriage right. was not going to, yeah. And yeah. did she like, you know, like, what do you call that? What do you call that? Your wings. You, you know, you kind of find you, you kind of like are... You know what I mean? The saying, the wings one or something, that she was she was yeah. playing the field a little bit while she was there. Did she have an affair with Howard Hawks? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. And and I believe that she she even had an affair with Charles Feldman, who was the agent that um, that brought her kind of brought her to Howard Hawks. So she was definitely and, and both of these were kind of legitimate loves uh-huh. for her. She wasn't you know, she wasn't necessarily using men to get what she wanted. It wasn't she was a really casting not, couch kind of thing. Ex- Exactly, exactly. So, you know, even within the first few months of, of her um, going to Los Angeles, she had, you know, fallen in love with Charles Feldman, who was, a, you know, really quite an allure, you know, kind of, it was just too hard to resist, this agent. And then she'd fallen for Howard Hawks, and she's always described that as, as a true love. And so, right, she was finding... <laughs> um, just kind of finding herself and finding, um, but I, but I would say what happens spreading her wings, <laughs> That's spreading I mean. her, exactly <laughs> spreading, spreading her wings for sure. And, and then the interesting thing that happens, especially during the filming of the strange affair of uncle Harry is that the press is on to her in terms of this secret marriage. And so they are trying to, I think kind of rattle that cage. And so they are suggest, right. There's rumor and there's a new window that, um, that she's hiding something. And then that comes out in the form of also suggesting that she might be a lesbian. And which, having an um, affair with Joan. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think jo- Joan was never, there was never jeopardy that, you know, or a chance that Joan would be, um, right. This would be revealed in terms of, um, Joan, Joan's identity coming out in the papers. Right. I talk about, right. I talk about this in my book that, that it's very likely that Joan was having, lesbian affairs at that time, but definitely Ella's people were terrified that this may come out for her and, and taint her reputation. And so they started putting things out to try to um, kind of over heterosexualize her, right. And suggest that she was most definitely straight, even if it meant revealing that she was married. So I think that's what happened. Also, didn't they hang out and they would kind of like wear, you know, sort of wear Men, men's wear and ties and smoke cigars and pictures and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is really fabulous because you can see this in photographs and they would be um, talked about, you know, in, in coverage in terms of, you know, Joan and Ella were seen um, hanging out and they, they had scrambled eggs at Marlena Dietrich's place yes, last like, night. Yeah. It's like, wow. And Greta but, Garbo was there too. Right, right. <laughs> Right, right. It's so, as though we're not supposed to notice that this, this, um, you know. But, but Travis Banton, the 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 designer for Strange Affair of Uncle Harry, and for a lot of these films at Universal that Joan Harrison was doing, Travis Banton was a friend for both of them, and he would um, he would you know do their dresses, particularly whatever fashion they were wearing, whatever wardrobe they had for evening wear. He often dress them in ways that that would help tie them together, you know, kind of sexually, which I yeah. think was fascinating. The yeah. Bobsy twinsy kind of thing. And it, and they were mm-hmm. they were cute. They're sitting together. They're like in 
Yeah, they, it looked like two women who were together. They, and they yes. sat in that way. So it's not like shocking that gossip no. would get out like that was what they were doing. But yes. we don't know that. No, we don't. And the truth is, you know, when I spoke to you, again, Ella Raines' daughter, she was really pretty certain. Um, and I don't think in a way that was defensive or kind mm-hmm. of, um, you know, th- that Ella Raines was, was not, um, you know, really didn't have any tendency toward having um, relationships with women. Yeah. With women. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe her. I would, too, because yeah. I mean, what's a big deal saying something now? I don't think it's a crime. Um, yeah. And um, a lot of people, uh, Walter Pigeon's grandson, um, after that thing came out with that Scotty Bowers dude, uh, mm-hmm. he said, you know, whatever our grandfather was, we loved him and we don't mm-hmm. care. He can say what mm-hmm. he wants to say. We don't know, but we love our grandfather. And that was the bottom line. And, you know, yeah. good for you, kid. And yeah. so we're talking about her. So she gets divorced. Her marriage to the first guy is finally mm-hmm. out there, and she soon gets divorced from him, right? Yeah, in uh, 1945. So just after Uncle Harry c- comes out, she divorces Trout. Mm-hmm. And she marries this guy, and he's like a, yeah. uh, isn't he like a, uh, he's like a hero kind of guy. He's like yeah, a, he's a jet plier a- or something. Exactly. He's a fighter pilot, Robin Olds. And uh, and that's just maybe a year and a half after she divorces um, Kenneth Trout. She, she, you know, she falls head over heels with Robin Olds and he's a, like a triple ace. <laughs> um, he becomes a triple ace, you know, fighter pilot. And she, she clearly had this affinity, you know, for military men and for pe- people who were, way, I mean, just very, very heroic and represented, you know, kind of the best of the best in terms of fight, um, you know, kind of military men and fighters. And so, yes, yeah, she she marries him in February of 1947. Um, but I think that one of the things that happens is, is at that point, she realizes that she is making a choice. I mean, she might not have realized it when she married, but soon after that, that she is making a choice because you're either a military wife, you know, or a Hollywood actress, but you can't really be both. No, and she, uh, Joan was the best, she was the maid of honor, right? She was the maid of honor, she was. And yeah. so that kind of, but when Ella married and did all the other things, of course, they weren't as close as they used to be because they couldn't be. So right. she took time off and she had children and then she worked with Joan again, right? That's right, yeah. And so one of the things that happens is um, her Ouch. husband, mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that happens is her husband um, is stationed in Europe. So they, they, you know, Ella moves to to Europe. And I, I don't want to pretend that she, I don't know that she was stationed like in the barracks. You know, I think that she, she, um, you know, she, she was probably well positioned in a, in a nice home outside right. of the base, you know, but, but yeah, they begin to have children. And then, uh, uh, Joan is kind of on her own direction, making movies, but at a certain point in the early to mid 1950s, around 1952, 53, Ella Raines comes back to New York, which is where her husband, I think is, um, is back on the East coast and mm-hmm. he's doing his, now he's more of a career military man. Mm-hmm. And, and Ella Raines decides she wants to do a television series, and that is Janet Dean, registered nurse. And so she brings in uh, Joan Harrison to produce Janet Dean. And that lasted one year. 
Exactly. It lasted one year. It was maybe 33 episodes. And it, you know, it got good reviews. And it was, if we look at it, a really interesting series. It was the first television series to feature a nurse. And Ella Raines is really interesting in that, in that, um, in that series. There are like three or four of them floating around on the internet. And I mean, it's a little hard to watch old TV, especially on YouTube. Right. But I, you know, if, if you're a Raines fan, I highly recommend that you check it out. And I think it's really helpful if you kind of go back, like try to imagine the two women creating something brand new as, you know, pioneers in terms of television. Um, and Reigns was an exec, she was executive producer of the show. And yeah, I know. And like president of the company. So great for, you know, great for her, but, um, but it was a syndicated series. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like an ABC series. Right. It was something that had, had to find its way and it just, it didn't really find, find a home. Mm-hmm. And then was yeah. that Ella pretty much stopped acting after that, except I saw like a few seventies or eighties series she was on. That's right. Yeah. She did some things here and there, but she, that was, I believe pretty much it. And she died, did she die pretty young? She, yeah, let's see. She, you know, she died of lung cancer, unfortunately, in in 1988. So she was 68. um, I'm sure she smoked a lot, like those people, you know. I'm sure she got a lot of smokes in. Um, Yeah, Yeah. so that is. And um, she had how many children? Um, She had, she had three children, actually. She had three children. Um, and, um, I, I'm aware of two of her daughters. I, I, you know, I don't know too much about her personal life, but, but, you know, I think that she, I think that she believes that her career really ended in the late 1940s and that I remember her daughter telling me that there was a moment where she auditioned for, I believe, a movie role up against, I think, Joan Crawford. Hmm. Um, I think that was, there was an actress, you know, at that level, and I think it was Joan Crawford. And when the other actress won out against her, that was kind of it. You know, she 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 was known for having a bit of a temper. Yeah. And she just felt, you know, right? And that was kind of it. She just felt like... Well, my time is over. I can't, you know, I'm not going to be able to compete anymore. And she just kind of drew the, drew the line. But she did, you know, that was before television, but it just felt like her movie career was, was over. And that's sad. It is sad. And, you know, she wasn't old. But the thing is, so many women at that time were old. And if you see these things, like, I've got to play a mother, never. And, right. You know. But a lot of these women refused to. And you see, like, when Greta Garbo quit, she came back, and they had yeah. made her take tests, and they didn't want yeah. her because they were like, she's out now. This is not her style. Her time is over. And they didn't right. take her back. So that's on Ellerine's, who was a good girl of noir, and she was a strong good girl of noir. And I really enjoyed all of her films very much. So. Yeah. I think we're going to get to Sunset Boulevard and the ultimate good girl, Betty Schaefer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love her. Yeah. Nancy I Olsen. Nancy Olsen <clears throat> plays Betty Schaefer. And she was really 22 yeah. when she did that film. Oh, wow. 
that's really yeah that is that's a that's young for you know i i love um i love betty schaefer because she, well first of all because she's you know works in hollywood right i mean she's she's a great she kind of captures that spirit of the young woman who has aspirations to to help run hollywood you know um her family was from there you know her family worked in different like i think her mother was a wardrobe woman and her father so she grew up on the sets Nancy Olson's family, really? No, is that, Betty no. Schaefer. Oh, Betty. Oh, Betty. Oh, Betty. Oh, you're giving me. The, you're giving me the backstory for Betty Schaefer. Betty Schaefer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's funny. And she she I mean, just as far as looking for those women in noir who who give us a foil to the to the femme fatale, because I think so many times we're wrong when we, you know, when we understand that that noir only gives us, you know, these women who are who are the, the you know, it's so destructive and they're they're the. You know, they they they're the marriage wreckers and the home wreckers, but that's just and the not psychotics true. And, all yes, yes. Stuff, yeah. and the psychotics, right? And and the only things that happen to these women by the end of the film is that they're they're either killed or they're sent to prison or they're just kind of sent to their doom. But Betty Shaver is such a great example of someone who. She's not the opposite of the femme fatale, right? She's not a domestic angel. She's not passive, but not she. No, right. She's really, really complicated and fun and interesting. And what would you say? What do you say about Betty Schaefer? <laughs> I think it, Betty Schaefer is a very perfect, perfect foil for Norma because Norma mm-hmm. is just so, like he says in, in the thing, William Holden, he says, you know, two broses. And she just, he said, you smell so nice. And she said, no, it's just my shampoo. And it's like, you know, I can only norm. I, I don't mean to be rude, but I loved Gloria Swanson. She was the anti-Norma. But mm-hmm. as Norma, you can imagine the perfume, all this gross odors coming out. Too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, yeah. and you smell this, you know, sort of baby who's at 22. She has an adorable little face. And, mm-hmm. you know, but she's, she's strong and she keeps after Joe. Everywhere she meets yeah. him, she keeps after Joe to do this. <laughs> And, right. and she's married to this. She has the sweetest boyfriend. I have to say, this is the best role I've ever seen Jack Webb in, where he has actually a personality. He plays, yeah. um, what's his? Artie. Artie. Artie Green. Artie Green. Artie Green. And yeah. he, he's a sweetie. He's fun. He's got a heart of gold. And he and Betty are engaged. Mm-hmm. And um, as they get together, Betty wants him to work with her because she mm-hmm. is a reader. At, yeah. at the place. And Betty gets with Joe and says, come on. And so he's living with Norma, takes out that funny looking car, <laughs> that like $9 million, you know, elephant trunk, <laughs> you know, and all these gross things that makes it a very expensive and weird looking car and yeah. goes to see Betty. And this is his lifeline because he's only with Max yeah. and Norma. Yeah. And that, yeah. you know, whew. so... Um, he goes out every night, Norma knows, and she's thinking she's going to go to DeMille. She's to be DeMille and be in Salome. She's just totally deranged. I don't care. They say she's, she's had a nervous collapse. She had a nervous collapse a long time ago. She was totally right. deranged through the whole film. And then she's like, where is Joe? Where are you going, Joe? I must know. And she goes into his room and she finds... Um, a love story by Joe McGillis and Betty Schaefer. And so right. <laughs> Norma calls her. <laughs> Betty Schaefer? Yeah. Is this you, Betty Schaefer? <laughs> do, you, do you know Joe McGillis? 
you know where he lives? Do you know how he lives? Her whole face, the whole thing, her lying on her bed like that is such a riot to me. And then Joe Brock's in on it and says, Betty, why don't you come here? Because Betty yeah. said, forget Artie Green. I'm in love with you. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so he knows, and he's like, let's get Betty here. Let her see what it is. She's 22. She, you know, This is not something. Let her see. And so she comes, and he really makes it big, like he doesn't want to leave there with Norma. And Betty's like, I don't hear you. I don't hear you. Let's just get out of here right now. <laughs> yeah. And she didn't care. She's 22 years old. I would have run for the hills if I saw Max. You know, at 22. <laughs> no. And Norma, oh, my God, no. So, but Betty, ha- you know, she's a mature 22. Definitely. Yeah. She she has that. And then when he tells her, I don't want to go, what should I give up? This, 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 this. And she said, I can't look at you anymore. And she leaves. Mm-hmm. And that ends to the big climactic end with Joe and Norma and Ed Hopper and everybody. I have to ask you, Christina, okay. what do you think? Do you think Betty Schaefer went back to Artie Green? Oh, that's a really good question. And no, <laughs> how could she go back? <laughs> no, I mean, one of the things that I think, you know, we don't know, right? I mean, we really don't know. But one of the things that she's obviously done is she's expressed and and asserted her desire and her you know she's really stepped out when she goes even just to even just to norma's mansion right so she right she yeah grows and, up a lot in that moment with norma yeah and, and with him yeah 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 i mean even at the very toward the toward i don't want to say the beginning of the movie because it kind of happens midway through but even at the party at the new year's eve party she's pretty much willing to leave Artie behind really and they're making (laughs) if only i could kiss you know doing that like play acting kind of thing but was it she always had i think she always had like goo goo eyes for joe and Mm -hmm. um but Artie loved her I, you know, that's something I ponder myself. I'm like, did she? We, we'll never know. Part of me thinks maybe because she sees what a creep, you know, and Hollywood's bad and Artie's such a good dude. And then another yeah. part of me says, no. So it's a big question mark. What do you guys think who are listening? What, what, what did Betty Schaefer do? Um, <laughs> I don't know. So why don't you tell us about one of the movies we were both just talking about, and it's wonderful, with Gene Simmons and Robert Mitchum. And she is a bad girl of noir. Yeah, yeah, Angel Face. Angel Face, Otto Preminger, right? I mean, we because we were talking about the good girls of noir, and then suddenly we took a swing, you and I, right before we were about to, you know, to do this, when I thought, well, wait, who's, who's my favorite bad girl? Of noir, and it has to be Gene Simmons's um, representation in Angel Face because she's just so far gone in that movie, and um, and I love Robert Mitchum and everything. I am, I adore him. He is like a dreamboat deluxe. I love yes. him. Love him. Yeah, and he and, and I think this might be my favorite. It's really hard to pick which favorite you know movie of his is mine, but I think Angel Face might be. I think it might be my favorite. I think that's definitely in my top three. And he's so good in it. And this, you guys, do not miss it. TCM does play it. Um, I'm sure they have it on Amazon Prime. You can rent it. But, you know, it doesn't play it all the time, unfortunately. But you can find it somewhere. And I urge you to watch it. It is, she is evil, horrible. Yeah. 
Yeah, she is. She is. Di- I guess her name is Diane, right? Diane in the in the movie, right? And and one of the things that I also like, just in general, about the film, is that a lot of the scenes feel a little bit like a like um, a surreal. You know, they take this dreamlike kind of trance-like quality, so that Robert Mitchum's character gets kind of caught up in this in this, again, kind of a trance. And you realize that it's easy for him to almost get lost, you know, and, and ensnared because he, ensnared, he's trying to kind I of figure that. out. <laughs> yeah. My mother used to say that about certain women. They're going oh. to snare you. They want to snare you. <laughs> Not me, but my brother, she used to say it about. Yeah. It's so, funny. yes. Yeah. She, yeah. she, well, she didn't give up. She was like the spoiled little brat. Who didn't mm-hmm. give up. And she, you know, she even met his girlfriend, who was a good girl, and, yeah. you know, talked to her about him and how she could do all these things for him. And the the woman was like, well, what am I going to do? You know, I can't yeah. do anything about this. And, you know, he wanted to get back to her after, but she's like, I'm sorry. I fell in love with a nice guy. So <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful. But um, Herbert yeah. Marshall was in it mm-hmm. as her dad. Yeah. He was a writer, um, but yeah. he was not really writing, and he was being supported by oh, what's her name? She always has that like gray, that gray. Do uh, <laughs> you know what was it called? Uh, uh, you know that the gray streak. She was in Stella Bar- Dallas. She was in all those movies. Barbara O'Neill? No, yes, um, Barbara O'Neill. Barbara O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so she, Diane. How he meets her is her her stepmother um, almost gets gassed to death, isn't it? Or did it go funky and go into her room? But she almost gets gassed to death, and she's like, "Why?" And um, it's funny because. Robert Mitchum being Robert Mitchum and Cool Hand Luke, and he kind of, you know, he's, he knew. He kind of looked mm-hmm. at her with his raised eyebrow like, yeah, right. You know, that yeah. she, um, that she, it was just an accident. And he kind of knew that from the get-go. And she mm-hmm. just followed him everywhere, everything. Yeah. And promised yeah. him the world. Yeah. And, and, and the thing about, you know, about it is is Robert Mitchum's, uh, character, right, Frank. It's like he, every time he goes to try to get out, he's packing his bag, he's ready to get the heck out of there, and somehow she keeps him. He can't get out, you know? He's trapped in her web. <laughs> yeah. Black yeah. widow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's trapped. She <laughs> snared him. Yeah. And it's like, okay, he somehow he'll like agree to do the next thing. He agrees, you know, he agrees to, you know, okay, finally toward the end. You can drive me to the bus station. Well, like, how why? stupid why? was that? That was like the stupidest thing. We're not going to spoil it. She murdered people. He was accused. They got married. He didn't want to do it, but that was like a thing to get them, you know, so that they would not have to um, be charged, that it wouldn't be happening yeah. because of that whole thing, which was horrible, what happened. Yeah. And yeah. he, yeah, because he was a chauffeur. They were blaming him. And mm-hmm. that was not what happened. And he, uh, he just couldn't stand this woman. So they get out. Mm-hmm. She gets, and she's upset that she ended up, she did. In a way, we're not going to tell you, she ended up murdering her dad when she wanted to murder the stepmother. And 
um, that's as about as spoiling as I'm going to get. And mm-hmm. um, they get married, they get out of there, and she thinks it's just going to be, oh, Peachy Kino, that he's going to be with her. And oh. what happens? <sighs> Well, I don't want to. I don't want to say. <laughs> well, we're not really spoiling it. Spoiling it. It's sort of like we're just giving you how horrible she is, and she's just this horrible woman, and she is bad. She is bad, and don't you think? I don't think there's anything really nice about her. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, she is. She is, and so and so. Then what happens is. So then what happens is? Um, he tries to get back with his old girlfriend. Yeah. Who is the good girl of noir, and we hardly see her. She's Mona Freeman as Mary Wilton. And uh, his partner, Kenneth Toby, who was in The Thing from Outer Space by Howard yeah. Hawks. He played um, Robert Mitchum's ambulance partner, and she started... You know, when he started, you know, standing her up or liar, liar, pants on fire stuff, she fell for him, a good guy. Right. And so right. he had the audacity. After all this, they get arrested, everything. And he thinks he can just take off his shoes, have a beer, and go back <laughs> with her. Isn't that nervy? I love you, Robert, but yikes. <laughs> and, you know, whatever. And he says he's got to get away with her. And, get away from Diane and Diane can't believe it. And, and how he would ever get into a car with her and believe anything she says is beyond me. But let me tell you, it ain't pretty. We're not, we're not, we're not blocking it. It ain't pretty. No, It's an awful thing, but I highly recommend it. Do you know um, Mm -hmm. this movie, uh, geez, the big heat. Yes. Yeah. Gloria Graham and yeah. uh, Glenn Ford. The one part in this movie I hate, because there's a good girl. She's Jocelyn Brando. I don't name. She's wife. The wife of Glenn Ford. There's all this nefarious goings on between mobsters and the cops are involved and all this stuff. And so they thought he was going to be in a car in his driveway and his wife gets blown up. Yeah. Glorious character, Debbie. Um, she tries to help. That horrible mm-hmm. monster, Lee Marvin, takes boiling hot coffee. And coffee, yeah. yeah and um, it's horrifying. And she's helping. He has her in a hotel room. And she says, tell me about your wife. I will not talk to you about <laughs> my wife. You couldn't touch her toes. You couldn't do anything. And he just was so brutal. This poor woman just is helping you. She's mm-hmm. nothing. She's trash. And then she's dying and after saving his life and everything and his daughter's life. And he said, let me tell you about my wife. <laughs> she's right. dying. Now it's okay. But right. that really got me. I mean, I wanted to duke it out with him. Any, yeah. any pet peeves you have in anything? Oh, pet peeves. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. Only I, I was just going to say that's such a great... Um, her character is just so great. I because, loved her. Right? I mean, yeah, Vulnerable, yeah. I, I, kind. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the com, right, the psychological complexity, and you really sympathize with her. Which, mm-hmm. which, if if we're looking for interesting female characters in noir, that's a yeah, it's a great example. But um, 
Pet peeves, pet peeves. I, you know, I honestly, I, I'm just somebody who gets really peeved out by extreme brutality when there's no reason, like narrative reason. You know, you're not, you're not kind of. It, there's no tr- kind of revelation or transformation. It's just there, kind of for the, for the sadism of it. And there's plenty of that in, in this genre. <laughs> and in that. Um, in that time as well. It's not just, yeah. okay, The Godfather, something like this. 40s, mm-hmm. 50s, they had some big time brutality. And I don't like that either. I can't watch. Um, but in noir, I have to say it was not my favorite genre, but it's becoming not my favorite genre, but pretty close. Yeah. I really like yeah. it. What's your favorite genre? Oh, yeah. I would, I, noir. Noir is it for me. I just, you know, and, and, I particularly like those noir films that do put a heavy emphasis on on the female characters. I'm not going to lie. That's just, you know, kind of my sweet spot. I do, spot too. When, I do, yeah. too. <laughs> but all, all of it is really great for me. I think because it's the intersection of the time, as we, you know, we, I think, always say, it's it, it those 1940s noir that are speaking so, you know, directly to the, the historical moment. Um, so it's not just about... Oh, it's a musical. Oh, it's you know. Right. Oh, it's a western. Right? Well, those kind of died I mean, out after the war. People were looking for more serious stuff, and musicals kind of went. Bugsby Berkeley went a long time. I'm going to have his biographer on in a little bit, but um, uh-huh. you know, they just went and they went for more of the darker films because it was a dark time. People survived it, but mm-hmm. they they did enjoy it, and that's how noir came about, and it became so popular. And I love on her Twitter, she has Lawrence Tierney there. And he <laughs> is such a hoodlum. And he was a hoodlum yeah. in real life. He right. was fabulous. Did you ever read the thing that, that already, that um, um, our darling um, Mr. Czar of Noir, Eddie, wrote about him? It's hysterical. No. You've got to no, go to his thing and read it. Because okay. they, they didn't even, he was like a hood in real life. Yeah. And he was just a meanie. Yeah, yeah, I do know that that his right. You really did. You didn't want to go near, near him. And so, yeah, I, I need to read that by Eddie Muller. Um, and I know that he was just. I mean, that's one reason why Tarantino kind of was able to bring him back. Right? Is is because of the real tyranny, <laughs> right? And the brutality in uh, Tarantino's. You know, let's face it. It would. He was. He does movies. Pretty brutal flicks, but it's also a different generation. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but Eddie's is wonderful. He, he wasn't even invited to this film thing, and Eddie saw him sitting against a tree. I'm not going to give the whole story, but he said, hey, are you Lawrence Jenny? He said, yeah, I'm Eddie Muller. Come on, I'll bring you in. So he brought mm-hmm. him in like a good citizen. They sat in the back, and he had been drinking beer, and I think he even smuggled some beer in to drink. And... He said, I got a P, but not P, you know, <laughs> but another word. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Uh, he said, here, hold this. So he gave Eddie a big cup and Eddie held the cup while the guy peed in the theater. No. He said, you are an American hero. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Read the whole story. It is hysterical. I said, you are oh so God. great, Eddie. Well, you're, you're the man. <sighs> Who would do that? 
except Eddie Mullen. Wow. Yeah, it's wow. a great story. So what are you working on, Christine? Are you working on anything new? You're loving anybody special in this wonderful world of classical classic movies? Anything groovy? <laughs> <laughs> Anything groovy? I am I am working on something, but I'm not I'm not talking. I think probably the same the same thing I was working on the last time that you and I spoke, and I'm still keeping it a little bit under Good. under the vest. But I know yeah. a lot of people do that. A lot of people ask, "Okay, what are you doing?" Some tell me the majority won't poops. <laughs> <laughs> but um, hey, you know Robert Matson? He wrote the foreword to your book. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's come yeah. on the show five times. My last podcast was about. Mm-hmm. Um, Errol Flynn uh, slept here and it's a really good book and juicy and a lot of paranormal stuff went on and so I just you know I just did it and I sent that because Robert and I have like an email friendship and I sent him the variety thing and he he writes me back he said I almost fell off my chair I'm like what does that mean? You think you just go on on honesty? Okay, man, I get over fifty listeners. <laughs> How dare you? I really, I was like, I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. <laughs> anyway, Christina, you are a delight. I think I talk too much. Um, no, you don't think I talk too much. Oh, no, no, not at all. Not at all. I, I, it is such a pleasure, you know, to talk to you and to listen to you. And, and I, I'm super excited that you got the variety mentioned because, well, first of all, I think that there, you know, just the idea that that classic Hollywood podcasts are getting this much attention is great. And then yours in particular, I, I just hope that you get more, you know, more listeners and Me more. Too. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, you've got, you've got a following and thank goodness, you know, Variety mentioned that it's going on. So. And I was so thankful to him. And I'm going to say your name, my dear Matthew Chernov, and I'm very happy. And you made my Thanksgiving. I'm very grateful to you, Matthew Chernov, for putting me in that list. Cause all these people are pretty high production and I am not. And I really am like, and you say that and I appreciate it. And I thank you, Christina, because I really enjoy having you on. And thank you. I really do. I had fun the last time and I had fun this time. And I'm telling you guys, you are going to love this book. It is not just this. It's, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. And I am, got, like I said, when I post this, after that, I'm going to post our first show we did. So you can listen to the whole thing. You don't have to go digging through. <laughs> and you're going to love it. It is a great, great book. And I love it. It is Phantom Lady with the love. Jeez, oh, why can't I because I like to do the whole thing. Why don't you just get to the part I want? Okay, here it is. Phantom <laughs> Lady, Hollywood producer Joan Harrison, the forgotten woman behind Hitchcock. And it is a wonderful Yay. book. Get it. Read it. Happy Thanksgiving, Christina. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank you so much. Have uh, a good one. I mm-hmm. enjoyed this immensely. And please, if you have something good and classic Hollywood you want to talk about, just get in contact with me and we will yak. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I'm going to be putting something up before Thanksgiving, but I am grateful for all of you. And I hope I do get some new listeners. And thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Listen to the stories of Tinseltown.